Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Indeed. Good morning. Welcome to the war. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this very beautiful day that you are the Lord, that you are God. And we pray that your will be done, O God, on earth, even as it's being done in heaven. And through us, Lord God, that we are your instruments, your ambassadors on this earth, Lord God, your people, the sheep of your pasture, Lord God, your warriors, your sons and daughters. And we pray, Father God, that you give us understanding of all of those things that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive and courage to be transformed by your truth. You said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we thank you for freedom, rest, peace, joy, goodness, and the fruits of your spirit that can be with us even in the midst of this evil and corrupt, destructive world. I thank you, Jesus, that you laid down your life for us on the cross. You paid the price for us. You paid it in full. And that we do not owe the devil anything anymore because you paid the debt that was ours. I thank you for doing that. We thank you also for giving us power, wisdom, and counsel, the counsel uh, of your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Thank you for sending him to lead us into all truth and triumph. And thank you, Lord God, for giving us the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that all things work together for good to those who love God, that you do not lie and that we have these promises because they are based on your integrity, your character, and your word, and you honor your word above your name. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our listeners, and we pray that this radio broadcast will go far and wide um, to help and encourage all those who listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, honey. Amen. Amen. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm doing well. So we're in the Christmas season. Yeah, uh, full yeah. Blown, full bore in the Christmas season. So. <laughs> we just need a little snow to add to all that goodness. Well, but anyway. yeah. So yeah. The, the, the topic today is to Christmas or not to Christmas is not the question. You know, uh, to, and so it, the real question becomes um, kind of what are the spiritual motivations uh, that prompt you to do anything? The spiritual roots and implications of not only celebrating Christmas, but of everything that we do. And um, because Christmas is just one of many things that we do. So the roots, the spiritual roots, why we do what we do and, and what's motivating that becomes what we're going to talk about. Oh, right, right, exactly. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, pagan roots to Babylonian roots to various Christmas traditions. Yeah, as in and, many holidays. And, and so, uh, yeah, you can find that in, in many different holidays, except for the feasts of the Lord. They have, you know, they're founded in, in God and so forth. Well, you know, the, the roots of all these things, there's always whatever God has, Satan will create a counterfeit. And even with the feasts that you're talking about, Satan would create a counterfeit to offset the, the celebration, the worship that was due to the Lord. And so um, at Christmas is no exception to that. And I think one of the things uh, that causes people to be confused is, well, you know, we've got scriptures that say things like in Jeremiah. Can we read Jeremiah? Yeah. We talk ahead. about the Christmas tree or what we thought maybe it could be. Some people interpret as the Christmas tree. 
uh, in Jeremiah chapter 10. Um, we're going to start with verse 3 and a few verses in that whole chapter. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile. One cuts the tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmanship with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. They cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. These are verses um, 2 through 5. Then we slip down to verse 8. He says, and he's God's comment, but these but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish, gold from Euphaz, the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmith. Then he goes on to say how it's decorated with blue and purple. But the Lord is the true God. He is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to abide in his indignation and and um he is so he says um you shall not but you shall say to them the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and shall and from under the heavens he who made the heavens and the earth by his power he has established the world by his wisdom stretched out the heavens at his discretion but everyone verse 14 is dull-hearted without knowledge Every metalsmith is put to shame by the graven image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. So it sort of sounds like they're chopping down a Christmas tree, if you ask me. Well, you know, a lot of people get, you know, some people get really say, oh, we should never, ever have a Christmas tree because of these scriptures and so mm-hmm. forth. But what the context here is, is an idol. Right. You know, and I mean, if we... Uh, you know, we have there. That was their goal to create, get a hunk of wood, carve it, shape it into some sort of form or shape, sticks and stones, whatever, and and then bow down and worship it, attribute it power, and and make it a god over them. Yeah, I've I've never yet bowed down to worship a Christmas tree. Uh, no, I don't know if you have, but some people, you know, what happens is we we get caught up, uh, for example, in the area of Christmas, we get caught up in Christmas the celebration, the holiday. He talks mm-hmm. about the customs of the people mm-hmm. are vain. Uh, the traditions of the people were vain. But we oftentimes, that's a danger. We get caught up in Christmas. Yeah. And, 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 and Christ gets neglected in the midst of Christmas because it's all about Christmas. Mm-hmm. A lot of the movies, uh, the Hallmark movies, are about like Christmas well, it, because, and all that. And, and so... Yeah, well, that can be good, honey. Well, it can be too. But what I'm saying is that, yeah, a lot of times there's reconciliation, mm-hmm. there's there's peace, peace there's yeah. love, there's generosity, all that stuff. All that is good. But the issue is not the holiday. It's the Lord, and yeah. it's the expression of who Christ is and what he's done for us that we are needing to express not only in, in a Christmas season, but throughout the whole year. Yeah, and I think it's about living deep 
And, you know, a lot of people, like you just said, they get all caught up in the hustle and bustle and they get all anxious and upset and worried and exhausted and trying to find the right this and that because everybody's expecting this and there's opinions out there and there's, there's a, you have to fulfill expectations and blah, blah, blah. And so we miss the whole secret, silent, beautiful story of this time of the year. And, and I just off subject for a second, some people say, well, how come you, you can celebrate Christmas, but we can't celebrate Halloween? Well, it's pretty obvious to me that Halloween is the exaltation of everything evil and Satan is the root of everything evil. So it's really the worship and, and, and you know, embracing or in celebrating or entering into a holiday that's very obviously dedicated to death and witchcraft and evil. But this holiday, this season, <clears throat> is dedicated really in the original places to that night in Bethlehem, whether it was December 25th or September 9-11 or whatever it was, it was a time when we go back to the birth of Jesus and what we, if we're motivated um, to worship him and acknowledge his birthday, I mean, it's like, it's like a birthday party. It's like if you have a child you love, 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 and they're so excited about life and you just want to bless them and you have given this great birthday party and you do a lot of work to get that birthday party, that idea, that theme, whatever it is, all the little details of it, just right so that it will be a blessing to the child. Well, that's kind of what we're doing with God. God was very excited, I believe, the night he sent the angels. He was very super. This was one of his best days, if he has days. Ancient of days, I guess he has some days. But anyway, one of his best days, because he was getting to make the, the announcement, yes, finally, after 4,000 years, I get to do, fulfill, keep, the first part of my promise. Yeah, that's that's really the celebration is that God, the eternal word, God, the son that was always the son, always the eternal word, came to this earth in human form as a baby. For, the, for this purpose was the son of man manifested, the son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil to set the us free. Mm-hmm. So this is the, we're celebrating God's uh, redemption, redemption, his, inva- his invasion, invasion <laughs> yeah. into this world, his, his intercession into this world. He came himself to show us. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to uh, in a visible human tangible. form, mm-hmm. tangible form, to reveal what God is really like, who God really is. And to bring good news, to bring reconciliation, to bring healing, to bring the, the gift of, of grace the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says in Luke, which is the very best place to read on this when Jesus is born. Um, and we know all the details that went led up into this, um, that there was a taxation. There was a bad thing going on. There was Mary and Joseph were forced to take this long flight, a hundred miles on a donkey from, from Nazareth all the way down to um, uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, which is right outside of Jerusalem to be registered because Caesar had demanded that everybody, you know, get, get identified and they did a census and whatnot. And so that looked like a very bad thing, but it actually was the fulfilling of the promise. I don't think Mary and Joseph would have ever said, well, we got to go have our baby be born in the stable in Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy. I don't think they were thinking that far ahead. Um, they just did what had to be done and God was guiding and leading in a very spiritual way. But in, in Luke, it says, um, uh, then the angels, well, and behold, verse nine, the angel of the Lord stood before the, the uh, and, and now there was in the same 
country, verse 8, shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. This doesn't look very exciting at all, very boring, mundane, everyday, ordinary, uneventful, probably cold, probably hungry that night, probably the, you know, whose turn is it to stay up? And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, this is uh, the dimensions had clashed right here. God's dimension, the dimension of the spiritual, had just invaded the, the three-dimensional world of the shepherds. And this angel stood before them and talked to them, and they could actually understand it. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, see, so this remembrance of Christmas uh, is the memorial, the remembrance. It's just like Jesus gave us the bread and wine uh, to remember his death. This is also a way we kind of commemorate and remember the whole, that holy night, that precious night, that night of hope, that night of joy, that night when Jesus was born. It didn't look like much at the time. He was just a little baby born to you this day in the city of David, a savior, big word for a little baby, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in manger, not very glamorous, not royal, no royal robes, no no royalty in attendance, no, you know, nice warm palace in a manger surround, warmed up, kept warm by probably the breath of cows, the body heat of cows and sheep in that donkey. Probably. Wow. That's pretty, that's a pretty high privilege for a cow right there. That's about the greatest you can hope to ever be. I imagine if you're a cow is to warm up Jesus. And this is the sign that you shall find. You'll find this baby wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I imagine other angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Here's the words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, not peace towards men of goodwill. In other words, it's not based on your good behavior that you're going to get the peace of God. That helps, believe you me, when we're obeying God, there's lots of peace. But this was God's overture to us, peace, my goodwill, good news, uh, an invitation to enter into a new depth of understanding into the mysteries of holiness, the mysteries of godliness, into the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the things that had only been foretold by prophets, was now made manifest. And here we have the antithesis of idolatry. You know, idolatry is always man making something to help himself. And here we have God doing something to help us. Well, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's interesting, you know, uh, Mary and Joseph, we they were they were just doing something in obedience to the government, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and they're just going. Just so God going can about, use the government. Okay, they're going to have a baby. They knew they knew that this was going to be a, a special savior. They knew it was going to be a savior. It was revealed to Mary, Mary to Joseph, and it said that actually, they, it's interesting thought that they were um, obeying an edict of the government, uh, actually a quite a corrupt Roman government, but then their son who was going to be in Isaiah 9 6 for the unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder so in obedience to the government they were bringing in the supreme governor of all who will mm-hmm. rule and reign one day so, so yeah so this is the roots this is the reason this is the motivation for why we do what we do whether whether it's 
it's Hanukkah or Christmas or, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're taking whatever traditions, customs, things that are meaningful, purposeful to you that have been handed down for your family, whatever, as a tradition to commemorate Jesus. Now, it's very sad, and we all know this. It's extremely sad what Satan has done to try to bury and suffocate and uh, obscure this, the true event and the true meaning of the event. And so you go into any department store on any street, and we are so afraid to acknowledge what we're really celebrating here that it's almost like it becomes a, a celebration to um, greed or covetousness or, you know, uh, merchandising or whatever you want to, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. But it, it, it's really ultimately what you pull all that garbage away and your motive, your heart can still be to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They cannot take that away from us. I don't care how much they bury it with, with, you know, things that are absolutely not Christmas. You look at some of these ads in the paper. How does this relate to Christmas? How does this trinket, this ornament, this, this fable, this, you know, and then, you know, actually we have a lot of, in Jeremiah, when we talk about that Christmas tree, he has a lot about the vain idolatry imaginations uh, of the people. And that is, I think, where we really get hung up on is our imaginations. He says, uh, for everyone we read this, is, is dull-hearted, without knowledge, you know, we are really going through the motions. We don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We're just kind of like being led away or led, led along by traditions, imaginations, fables, foolishness. And we lose so quickly because of those kinds of, you know, false pathways. We lose the true intentions of anything because of our corrupt imagination. Because the imagination is built on fables and fairy tales and fantasies and that's what we kind of live on these days. We, to escape reality, we go into the fable world, and this is where our imagination rules as king. Yeah, we got the fable, the, you know, the fable and the fantasy of Santa Claus, which is uh, someone expressed it this way: Santa is Satan's substitute for the Savior. You know, it's like he knows you when you're sleeping, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, so he knows if you've been bad or good, so you'll be good so for goodness' sakes. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing about Santa. So. So, well, you know, the enemy's always doing that, yeah. you know, and, and there is, there was truly a man, an old man who was very kind back right. in the day before it was Holland or where it was right. a Saint Nick. They called him Saint Nicholas. His name was Nicholas at first. He was some sort of a bishop who gave gifts at Christmas time or to the little poor people, little children, whatever. And, you know, we can still do that. And, and yet Satan, you know, takes that to build on that. It builds on that. And a, it gets, a, a fairy tale. It gets way out of line. It gets into a fairy tale that. He almost, you know, eclipses the consciousness of Jesus Christ. And, of course, an idol, an idol is anything or anyone that takes the rightful place of God in your life or anything, right. anyone that comes between you and God. That's so, right. So this is, this is uh, you know, there's so much. So anything much can be anything can anything be an idol. Anything or anyone can be an idol. Or, it's, it's just something. Or a it, goal. It can, it can be something yeah. good but it's in the wrong place. Right, exactly. Well, you know, going back to Jeremiah in, in chapter 9, he says, um, who, who is the wise man who will understand this? You know, let's understand. I think wisdom is a gift that we can all ask for. God says, ask, and you will receive. And who is he whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness, so that no one can pass through? You know, thinking of these fires and um, yeah, and uh, California fires, these these earthquakes, these calamities, these tragedies, 
And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the imagination of their own heart, and after the Baals, so the gods, the false gods, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, feed this people with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. So the, the fruit of our actions, our faith, our pursuits, our imaginations, in this case, bring trouble, bitterness, wormwood, gall, trouble, uh, calamities, tragedies. But going back to, he says here, because they have forsaken my law. Now, here's another problem. A lot of people are very legalistic in their rendition of what that law is. And so they're saying, well, you know, this uh, worshiping, this practicing, this uh, involvement of Christmas is idolatry. Uh, and But they themselves then go back and put themselves under the legalistic traditions of the Judaic law, which then causes another set of opportunities for the enemy because Satan doesn't, he loves it when you believe something has got to be done to make you good or acceptable to God, whether it's keeping a law or whatever it is. And, and then the minute that you fail to keep that law or you make this resolution, I'm going to read my Bible every morning, you know, for 15 minutes. And then by the seventh day, you've missed 15 minutes. And now what are you? Because you've, you've made an oath. You've made an agreement with the law that cannot save you. That's what the Bible says. The law does not, cannot justify any man. And so the law, where there's a law, the Bible says in Romans chapter four, there's a transgression. And, and so Satan is all interested in getting us to transgress so that he can bring us before the high court of heaven and then lay upon us the guilt of violating a law. And a lot of times the law isn't even something that God has instituted for us. And even in the Old Testament with the institution of all of those laws and ceremonies, God finished, completed that. That is a completion that was only a placeholder until Jesus could come. And now the, the law is the law of love. The law is all fulfilled in this, that you love one another. So here's the deal. If you're kind of confused about whether I should do Christmas or not do Christmas or do this or do that, uh, whatever it is, put anything in there, any activity, any situation where you're in it, and, and reduce it down. Does this thing I'm doing, am I doing it as unto the Lord, first of all? And am I doing it out of a vain imagination? Or am I doing it out of a heart's desire to love and serve God? And the third thing is, what does this reduce down to? When I do this, does it bring me peace? Or does does it bring me stress? Does it bring me uh, hope and joy and goodness? Or does it make me feel angry, upset, violated, uh, frustrated? So is it of faith? Is it of faith or is it of of fear? Isn't isn't there a verse that says... um, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Yeah, that's uh, well, that's part of Romans fourteen twenty three. Yeah. So that we we were to do everything in faith. Faith in God, that is. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if someone believes something is not God, you know, you know, if you to all men, you know, there's a law that there's a there's a scripture that says um, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful or expedient. And to whom, whoever he thinks it's sin, to him it is sin. So if you're doing something that you believe to be a sin, and it's really not a sin, let's just say God doesn't care one way or the other, it's not a big deal. There's basics, there's very, very critical basics with God, but let's just say uh, that you believe something is, has to be done to please, please God, and it's really not anything that God's even interested in at all. I mean, he doesn't really care if you put up a tree, he doesn't care if you don't, but he wants 
the law of love in either situation to prevail. And if you think something is wrong, then you seek God on it and get the right answer. And until you get the right answer, do what you believe to be the right thing. There was a guy years ago that we knew that was part of our church, and he had an, a background in, he was playing secular uh, music on the, on the guitar, you know, rock music and stuff. After he came to know the Lord, he really felt that that guitar was, was like an unclean thing mm-hmm. because it had been used for, he associated that with evil, evil music. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the Lord worked in his heart and then he, he was a tremendously gifted musician mm-hmm. and uh, the Lord worked in his heart and he realized that really, you know, the guitar is, you know, it's something that could be used for good. It could be something that could be used for evil. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like the internet or the phone or, mm-hmm. or or whatever it is. You have things that can be used for good or for evil, and there, Paul said nothing is unclean of itself. Right. In a sense, it's just it's a matter of what is it what is it used for? What is the purpose? Is it used to glorify or honor God, or is it something to promote the uh, enemy's uh, agenda? Well, just on that example, you know, it's interesting that. This man had a gift from God, the ability to worship and make and play music, very good gift. And, and when he got saved, the devil tried to steal the gift by using this man's desire to please God and telling this man that his guitar was, you know, it, a, a, a evil or the use of it was yeah. evil. And so he laid it down thinking that that's what would make God happy. And, and God eventually told him, you know, the guitar is neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it. It's the TV is neither good nor bad. The iPad is neither good nor bad. These are all devices, <clears throat> and they can be vices. They're devices that can be vices, or they can be instruments of, of righteousness as well. And just another quick example, uh, General William Booth, of the uh, founder of the Salvation Army, uh, they got a lot of songs going, and they said a lot of the church songs, he said, were so dead and were so drab. <laughs> and what he did is he took put Christian words to the, to the tunes of songs that were popular, secular songs in that day. So, I mean, there's no, like one, uh, one guy used to say, uh, every tune belongs to the Lord except the spit tune. But anyway, the... Uh, <laughs> But really, so there's another thing. The tune itself Mm -hmm. was not unclean. I know there can be music that will gender certain satanic kinds of things. Right, and that's pretty obvious. But but this was like a tune that was, it was more uh, upbeat. It was more of a melody. Mm -hmm. And he put Christian words to it. Redeemed it, basically. And it was more, uh, redeemed it. It was more in fitting with the hearts of people. Right. Well, that's clever and that's good. And that's God. And that's called redemption because God did the same thing. He took all the, the vile mess of human race and began to redeem us one person at a time. In, in Titus, he says, um, uh, it's just such a good word. The word is all good. Uh, verse 15 to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their minds and consciences are defiled. For they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being an abominable, disobedient, and disqualified to every good work. You know, people can look, you know, uh, look like godly. Uh, you know, they have the, the form of godliness, and they're just denying the power of God. Seriously. I mean, so absolutely seriously. It's like shocking. I mean, 
Don't be fooled by the guys and what people present themselves to be to the peer. God knows the peer. God knows your heart. When the devil comes in to condemn you and, and judge you and make you feel guilty and bad, you just go back and say, you know what, Jesus, you know my heart. You are my defender. You're the faithful witness. You know how it went down. You know what happened. Everybody else is talking and thinks they've got their opinion. They've got their uh, judging me. But you know me. And so to the peer, all things are peer. If your heart and intention and desire, and by the way, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked, Jeremiah says, and who can know it? But the thing is, God is working to transform our hearts just as he's using the word to transform our minds. And so as you walk in the word, by the way, that would be the best thing you could ever do is start reading the Bible. You say, I can't read the Bible because it's just so condemning. That's because you're reading it with legalistic religious law glasses. Take those glasses off and read it under the tutoring of the Holy Spirit instead of the tutoring of the law. Read it. Read it with grace glasses. Grace glasses. Yeah. Yeah. And so to the peer, all things are peer, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is peer. In other words, he's saying, if you're already rotten on the inside, it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you put on on the outside. You're still rotten. You can't dress up the outside of something and make it look good and be okay. If it's not good on the inside, all the way down to the core, then it's not pure. And because, because the only thing that can clarify and purify us is our contact with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit. A lot of people, you know, they're, they're hung up. They're doing so many things that are contrary to the word of God. They're locked into it. They're, their generations have been locked into it. They've been taught it. They learned it. It's on their DNA, uh, the predispositions to sin. They're locked into it. So the process of salvation is one thing, but then comes the process of sanctification, which is to cleanse, heal, restore, and rewrite our, uh, our DNA, rewrite the programming, uh, deprogram us from the lies of the devil. And so when your heart is right and getting right by through the word of God, the washing of the water of the word, then you're going to start to feel more at peace, less anxiety. I think the thing the world needs is the gift of true peace, not peace as the world gives. You know, this false peace, promises, treaties, you know, warfare, walls, barriers, whatever. That's not the kind of peace. It's goodwill. And the thing is that, that very, I think we're going to find out when we get to heaven that the real enemy, as the Lord said, is not one another. It is the it is the demonic spirits who stir up the turmoil, the animosity, the aggravation, the agitation against us and, and spew out little mottos, little, little slogans, little this, little that to pick it, to, to, to riot, to whatever. But the true peace comes, first of all, with your peace with God. And then whatever you do, you know, out of the heart flows the issues of life. And so whether you're putting up a Christmas tree or not, it, it's, it's good because there's peace in your life. Mm-hmm. What happens is that we often get caught up on sideline issues. Oh, my goodness. You know, we, we get, you know, what is the proper way to baptize? What is the, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, which is the right church, the right denomination, the right, the right doctrine? Doctrines. You know, and, and I, I heard that, you know, one church is saying, oh, we have the best doctrine of any denomination. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. here. It's not right doctrine that gets you into heaven. It's the right attitude and Jesus Christ as your Savior. A lot of times in our effort and our desire to please God and walk in righteousness and justification and justice, and uh, the devil uses that very desire to provoke us to uh, make all kinds of oaths and decisions and laws and dictates 
um, uh, moves us into a place of legalism. And I think that's one of the terrible things of, of whatever avenue Satan is using to, to lure you, to bait you, to hook you, uh, like he did with Eve in getting her to uh, seduce her, deceive her into believing that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a good tree, good fruit, make her, would make her wise, was you know pleasant to the eye. It wouldn't hurt her. Um, and so he, he enticed her to believe that that tree was the tree of life. The tree of life she was already eating off of. The tree of life was the one that gave her immortality, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he said, if you eat off this, you will not die. But God says, if you eat off this one, you will die. And so in her desire to know more about God, she forgot what God said. And I think a lot of times we do the same thing. We, we're so eager to make God happy and do it just right and be perfect and be good that in the process of ends up happening is the fruit of our life. We get all complicated. We get all tangled up. And that fruit is bitterness. And, and sometimes bitterness against God because God didn't come through and I was being so good, so perfect, and I was doing it just right, and he didn't answer me. And Satan just uses my desire to follow God. And so then what happens is we flip to the opposite side of that torture rack, and we become passive, mediocre, and dull-hearted. We don't care anymore. We get to be Pharisees. Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the lawyers, which are not lawyers in the sense that we have them today, but, you know, they were ones who were to be experts in the law of God. Mm-hmm. And Jesus had to speak to them. He said, you, you know, Matthew chapter 23 really mm-hmm. gets into all that. Yeah. It, 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 and, and a big part of it is um, they reject. He says, you reject the commandments of God. You reject the word of God that you may keep your tradition. Now, there's traditions that can be good. If you have a tradition where you go to a certain concert every year or a family tradition. Or eat can, certain can, foods or whatever. Eat certain foods on, you know, you have Ludafisk on Christmas or so whatever your tradition is. There's, there's some traditions that are fine. But then there are the traditions that are just, you're, you're, in, you're so involved with your tradition. Yes. He says, you reject the commandment of God. He says, really, you're missing mm-hmm. the whole point mm-hmm. by keeping, you're trying so hard to do it right that you can't do anything right. I remember playing basketball sometimes, some games in high school where you were trying so hard Mm -hmm. to do everything right that everything would go wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, the coach, in those cases, he recognized what was going on, and and he'd call timeout and said, hey, just just relax. He said, just relax, have fun. You know what to do. Get out there. Don't Mm -hmm. – he'd say, pressing. In other words, not not a full court press. If you know those of you that know something about basketball, he said you're pressing. He says just relax. Pressing. In other words, we were we were trying too hard. He didn't want us to be lazy, but we were so mm-hmm. tense with trying to do everything right well, that we were doing everything wrong. And that's exactly what happens when you try to keep the law. The more the harder you try to keep the, the yeah. law, the the harder the Pharisees, the more laws and rules and rules that they developed to try to be so meticulous in serving God, the more they missed the, the point. point. Yeah, and and that's the more exactly... dull-hearted they got, the more Bitter. nasty they got, Bitter. and the mm-hmm. more hypocritical they got. Well, it's, it's like this, when, you know, bitterness is swallowed anger. So you're angry because what you're doing, you thought it would bring forth this wonderful fruit of peace. And all it does is give you more work to do. 
never enough, always more to do, more work, more striving. And this is not what the, the word Jesus used is abiding. He says, as he says, I'm the vine, you're the branch as the branch abides in the vine, rests in the vine, hangs into the vine, sticks with the vine, uh, stays connected to the vine. It will bring forth the fruit of the, of the, of the vine. And so this is the picture he gives us. It's not one of, can you imagine the, when an apple tree is stressed, they don't produce fruit when they're doing well and, and they have a sense of well-being and there's enough moisture, there's enough nutrients, there's enough sunshine, there's enough bumblebees around. They, are, they, they smile, they do good. They, they love it. And, and the same with us. And so um, if you're stressing and striving over Christmas, or any other holiday, or even the, the notion of whether we should or shouldn't celebrate it, what, does your, what, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? What gives you peace? Does it give you joy to not do it, or does it give you joy to do it? And some of you are connected with families, and so you can't just do what you want to do. You could probably live easy without a Christmas tree. That's not true meaning of Christmas or on various other things. I'm using Christmas trees, kind of our topic, but, but the thing is, you know, you could probably just do fine without putting up all those decorations and baking all those extra cookies. But the thing is, you are living in the context of maybe grandchildren or children or people who want this. You're giving them an opportunity to enjoy, to rest, to come into a place of peace where something has been prepared for them out of love, hopefully not too much stress. And they come in there and you are actually loving them. You're giving them a way to have a blessed, good day or days or season and, and, in, and you're sharing of yourself. This is the law of love. Now, which in your particular situation, which how is the law of love best served? Now, if you're in a bunch of people who, you know, are crabby and sour and they can't do Christmas because their law says it and their traditions say it and, and they believe the lie that, you know, it's, it's what Jeremiah said, you've decorated a tree, God forbid, well, I'm decorating my tree and putting up the candles. Those are birthday candles to Jesus. But if, if your law says you can't do that and you're feeling that if I did do that, I would be sinning, then don't do it. But whatever you do, keep the true story, the peace, goodwill to men in your heart. This is God. God is excited. I want you really, this is what we, to, to be excited for God, excited for what he's doing excited for Christmas. I remember when I was young, very young child, and in our church, they would always put up this big um, nativity set inside, indoors, so you could sit there and not freeze when you looked at it. Um, it was inside, so you, you could meditate, you could look at the, the, the statues were beautiful, the shepherds, I remember the shepherds and um, the sheep, and, and, the, and, and it was just a, a nice memory, um, a time of that the church was kind of quiet, a little bit dark, you know, it's kind of a quiet place and you can just be quiet for a second, even as a child. And you can think about what it really meant, that spirit. And, and when that spirit gets a hold of you, the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of excitement, God is excited about his first coming and he's very, he's excited about his second coming too, but that's going to be a little bit different. Um, that one's going to have stuff going off in the skies and signs and stars and stuff too, but it is going to be a lot more inclusive, I believe, than his first coming. The first coming was a very private affair, very quiet, and you and I can peer into it by meditating on it through the scriptures, looking into the word of God, 
and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to show us God's heart. I can only imagine, like we said earlier, how excited he would be. So celebrating Christmas uh, is that time of the year. And it's, it's kind of a time already set aside because, you know, the work of the, of the year, the harvesting, uh, the, the natural work anyway, people who work in an office, it seems like it's never done, but, but that's not really natural either. But the, the work is quieting down. The, the, the trees are resting. Things are going into a dormancy. It's time to calm down. It's time to be, grace grows in the wintertime. You begin to read a little more, think a little more, sit a little more, uh, meditate a little more, and enjoy you know, a cup of tea or something. And, and you begin to quiet yourself. It's, 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 this Christmas thing, silent night, a holy night, is about quieting ourselves. And if you're all stirred up, uh, in the argument of whether I should Christmas or not, that's not even the question. That's not even the topic of discussion or the thing you should be pondering or, or stewing over. What you need to be doing is, is rejoicing the joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with peace and, and grace. Those carols, those songs, sing them, read them, meditate on those words because those are words that celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. And maybe that's what we should be talking about, the true meaning. How is the best way to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas? Well, it's obviously through your relationship with God, through the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul writes in First uh, Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, he said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Not, not everything is really profitable and good and worth doing. Uh, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Not everything is going to build somebody else up. And when he says verse 24, like what you're talking about, Marjorie, is let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Okay? Or welfare. Mm-hmm. Or welfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says um, in verses 31 through 33, whether therefore ye eat or drink mm-hmm. or, and or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, mm-hmm. giving none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. The, the principle is this, really. And you have to really look at, can we simplify? You know, what happens we do with, a lot of times we do with Christianity is we complicated. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Pharisees that complicated mm-hmm. uh, Judaism, the mm-hmm. Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. But if you simplify, it's just what, whether, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So am I doing this for the glory of God? And, and, and you want to do everything, everything for the glory of God, to honor God, to bless God, to, and, and to help other people. How does this glorify God? How does this help other people and, and pointing them toward Jesus, Jesus so they can be mm-hmm. saved? And this is a good time of the year to point people to Jesus. I mean, this is where you can say Merry Christmas, Christ Mass, Merry, Joyful. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a natural, a more natural conversation starter, uh, and people are more open to it, I think, as well. 
Uh, but going back to that simplicity thing and complications, if your life is too complicated, it's because you've listened to too much of your soul, mind, will, and emotions chattering, debating with your spirit. Your mind and your emotions don't happen, oftentimes even agree 100% because you don't agree with yourself most of the time if you're using your soul to make a decision. So you're going to be complicated. And Paul says in first, Second Corinthians 11, 3, he says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by the craftiness, by his craftiness, so your minds may also be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So if your life is complicated, everything is complicated, you know, there's dots, to, the I's to, to dot and T's to cross, and you got to have straight lines and got to get be perfect. You are complicated, and life isn't like that. Life doesn't allow, the mud puddle is not, you know, if you can't straighten that out, you just got to get out of it. Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little, little children, children, you shall yeah. in no way enter the kingdom of God. So, so simplification, you know, everything gets more and more complicated in our world. There's more information, more technology, more complication. And so, but really in, in, the, in this what? You've got all these, mm-hmm. you've got books, you've got CDs, you've got tapes, you've got DVDs. Uh, you've got all kinds of conferences. There's information, information, information. I'm talking about like from in a Christian perspective. Right. Or, or, you know, so there's so much, okay, you've got to read this book and you've got to have this book and you've got to mm-hmm. go to this class mm-hmm. and do all this. And, and, and a lot of that stuff can be very helpful. But listen, uh, how, much, how much room does your brain have? How, how much time do you have? And so it, it's a matter of, if we can just simplify, reducing things to the lowest common denominator, which is, yeah, which is really, which raises us to the highest place in the Lord. In Colossians, it says, um, he is in a great conflict for them. Uh, he, Paul, he's worried about wrestling about what's going on with them. And he says, um, now I know, not, now this I say, verse 4, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And how many people, uh, this week alone, I mean, not this week, like in the last seven days, I have heard of some more crafting concoctions Satan has brought up, created, you know, uh, things that people are, are being shuffled into, Christian supposed things, that are absolutely leading them in the wrong direction. But they are ignorant and, and unknowledgeable of what Christ and his word says, so they it looks Christian. They use Christian scriptures. They use references in the Bible and, and, or they read books, you know, that are misleading. So subtly misleading um, the angel of light comes and looks like, you know, God talking to them. And, and he says, lest you should be deceived with persuasive words. We know that in the last days, these, these things are going to get more and more treacherous, more and more uh, divisive, more and more spirit of divination out there. For though I am absent in the flesh, he says, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith that you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. Beware. He says bewitched, beware. He, Paul is really understanding. I mean, this is only 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus left ascended into heaven and we have got corruption we've got flattery we've got divination we've got witchcraft we've got counterfeit gospels we've got deception 
We've got everything already here. He says, lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You know, that's a problem. People don't feel complete. I have to have this. I have to have that. This new outfit, this new makeup, this new car, this new relationship, this new whatever. I'm not complete. I'm not content. I'm not happy. Godliness with contentment is great, 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 great gain. You don't have to be chasing around looking for something to become a victim and vulnerable to the ploys and the plots. You know, a hungry fish is much more likely to get caught on a hook than a full fish. If you're full and content in God and you've been feeding as you're supposed to, not taking shortcuts by trying some flattery little piece of bait on a hook, but eat as God created you to eat, you know, feeding in the the algae or the the minnows or the bottom of the ocean or whatever you're doing as God built you, you will stay out of harm's way. It is when you try to take a shortcut and do it fast, do it quick, and, and, you know, eat eat the things of this world that Satan baits us. He says, uh, the philosophies, why would I want to follow philosophy? Well, make me better than you. I'll know more than you. Empty deceit. You know, I got to be better because I'm insecure according to the traditions of man. Well, if I do what everybody tells me, then they'll like me. The principles of this world. Where's the world going? Do I really want to go there? Not according to Christ. He who dwells in the fullness of God, the Godhead bodily for following him, we're going to have the fullness of the Godhead. You're going to be complete. You say, is it possible down here to be complete, to be content? Absolutely. Totally. It is absolutely possible. The more the Holy Spirit lives in you, the more the Holy Spirit gets to pull the strings and call the shots the happier you're going to be in him. You were also circumcised in God. You know, this, the flesh is cut away made without hands by the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ uh, buried with him in baptism. We died. So we're dead. A dead man doesn't have to have all these things, these needs and insecurities met. You're raised with him through faith in, in the God working through him to raise him from the dead. Um, Our trespasses are gone. Jesus paid the debt. Don't let Satan send you an old bill and you end up paying it again. He says, having wiped out the the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the laws, etc. He's taken them out of the way, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. When Jesus was a baby born, he grew up to be a man. He went into the belly of hell. He died on the cross, went into the belly of hell and stripped the devil of the keys of hell and death. Now, Satan doesn't have them. Jesus has them. He got them back. They had been given to Adam and Eve, I believe, and so Jesus got them back. Um, Therefore, let no one judge you. Okay, don't let no one judge you in food or drink or in regarding to the festival or new moon or Sabbath. Um, These are a shadow of the things to come. So we can be defrauded of our peace, our delight, by going into a place of false humility and worshiping of angels. Now, here's another thing. Well, we want to know what's going on, so we're going to call on our angels. Don't talk to the angels, people. Do not. Most of the angels that people think they're following are angels of light, false angels, lying spirits that look like angels, and you fall for it. You bite the hook. You want a shortcut. Again, that fish who got caught wasn't doing anything wrong, except just wanted a little lunch, and this looked easy. So we try to take the shortcuts. Well, you know, my shortcut to God is not an angel. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. What do you need an angel for? If you need an angel, God will send an angel. God is in control. He knows if you need desperate, immediate measures, and the angels are there. I believe they attend us. I believe they're watching over us. 
uh, I believe we, we've got them. They're nearby, if not constantly on our trail. But at the same time, I don't talk to my angels. That, that would be idolatry. That would be giving, putting something between me and God. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say go, go to the, um, in a sense, if, if, say, you need a 911 call, okay? You make your 911 call to the dispatcher. Right. And then they send out the officers. So yeah. to to the to meet the need. So go to God mm-hmm. with your need, whatever crisis or issue is going on, and, and let Him do it however He wants right. to do it. Right. Because He'll, of, he let Him send the angels if He needs to send angels, and but yeah. But I see, agree. see again, we have to be careful because Satan uses our desire to know God and know about spiritual things, and so if we have this visitation of this angel, then um, it says those who are um, vainly puffed up with their fleshly mind may follow those kind of instructions and go off on the deep, on the deep end hold. It says, but not, we need to hold fast to the head from which the whole body is nourished. Therefore, you know, um, we cannot, you know, judge. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, do not put up a Christmas tree. You better put up one. You shan't, you can't put up one, which are all concerns, concerns things which will perish with the using according to the commandment of and doctrines of men why do you get all tied up hang hung up on you know something that's going to perish it's not going to live or last but it gets yourself tied up and hung up in the absolute power of walking in god's spirit knowing his heart knowing his mind knowing the mysteries of christ seeking out the, the counsel of the holy spirit with that dwells within you you don't have to go to a certain type of church or, or, or building or or structure or or certain kind of movement or meeting or uh, it, it's within you. It's your relationship with God, and you can have that any place you go, everywhere you go. As a matter of fact, that's what you should. If you have a relationship with God, you should take it with you everywhere you go. And it's in the life of Christ, His life will be lived through your life, and in that you'll be ministering to the to the others the, the things that Christ would minister to them. Well, we live we live in you know uh, a world that has you know various cultures. Uh, various um, various cultures, various traditions, and all that kind of stuff. Various yeah. habits, events, That's right. that sort of thing. Well, the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, "Don't take them out of the world; keep them from the evil one." So, in the midst of these things, these things can be used. It's just like whatever position you're in in life, wherever your workplace is, your neighborhood, mm-hmm. your community, and your family, you are there. If God wants you to move you on to something else, he'll move you on to something else. But when you're there in that position that you've, you've been placed in, Live unto the use Lord. that mm-hmm. for the glory of God right there. Use that as an opportunity to, to share with people, to bless people, to ha- exert your influence as, uh, as salt and light. Well, Jesus says here in Colossians through Paul, he says, um, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he goes on to talk about the various sins and idolatries, covetousness. All of these things are idolatry. Bottom line, everything reduces down to who is God. Are you going to, is, is the Christmas tree God or is it is putting up that tree? Are you worshiping it as, as God or an idol? 
or are you worshiping God? Is God God or is the devil God? When, when Jeremiah was warning them, the metalsmiths and the dull-hearted people uh, who are slapping together these, these panels of gold and silver and ornaments and whatever they were doing on these trees, they were intending to create an idol. That was why they had the axes out. That's why they had the metalsmiths working on it. It wasn't to decorate it as a memorial. It was, it, that was to be an idol. They were attributing to that thing the power to have power over them. They were actually, isn't that something? The humans created the thing, the dumb, dead thing that they had to carry around. They couldn't speak, that they were going to empower, give their power to. Now, who do you suppose was, was behind that? Paul says it was a demon behind those idols who was sucking up that power and using their unseen manipulative powers to manipulate the people through fear into doing various things, whether it was to sacrifice their children or to offer food to the gods, or to have festivals and dance and, and attribute to the gods uh, fertility and, and the seasons and the rain and the harvest. They were giving all of the glory to these man-made dead things and or to things that were alive already. For example, why do you suppose the sun is called the sun? Because the sun sounds like the sun. The S-O-N, Son of God, is the Son of God, but Satan is the Son, and many people worship the S-U-N instead of the S-O-N. So there was a sun worship, idolatry. Um, and, and Satan is so clever, he even made the two words sound the same. Tell me the devil's not into semantics. He really is. And so we have to understand that this, Satan complicates things. He convolutes things. He, uh, he, you know, when we make an agreement, those are the things Whose who's report are you going to believe? If you're in trouble, uh, your life is a mess. Uh, it's running up into dead, wall, dead ends and, and, and brick walls. It's because you, are, you have an agreement. Satan has an agreement. We've talked about this last couple of weeks about, you know, what are the grounds that Satan is using to bring his case against you in the court of heaven? And you ask the Lord, inquire of the Lord, what is the grounds that Satan is using? I'm not wanting to get off the subject, but the subject is always one thing. Who is God and who are you? Those are the two questions that need to be answered. Who is God? And Jesus, when they said to him, who are you? And he says, I know where I'm from. So if you know where you're from, then you know who you are. Because there are only two uh, original places. There's heaven uh, and then there's hell. There's the, 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 and so if you're from heaven, you're, you know where you're from, then you're also from God. And if you're from God, you're made by God to love God, to know love, choose justice. And in your spirit, you know that stuff. So don't be tangled up with trying to figure it out in your mind, which is an inferior instrument of discovery, and your emotions, which are an inferior instrument of discovery. But go into the spirit where you can know that you know what you know, because it says, for what man knows the things of a man in Proverbs, except the spirit of the man, which is in him, 2 Corinthians 2, 9 to 11, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 11. So God is born, witness God, for God's spirit bears witness with our spirit. He communicates to us and he communicates the message of peace and goodwill. God is not mad at you like the devil wants you to think. God is not expecting you to be perfect. God, you know, the will of God, the big, big, mysterious will of God that Satan makes the big deal. Guess what? God is not disappointed. And you hear what he knew from the foundation of the earth, exactly the path that you'd be on, exactly where you'd fall down, exactly where we'd get tricked, exactly where the devil would set up an ambushment. He knew. And what did he do? He stood there. He was there. Jesus was there to be the faithful witness to testify the truth. If indeed you want to know the truth, if you don't want to know the truth and continue to believe the lie, you will continue to walk in that bondage. 
But if you know the truth and if you're ever interested, ask the Lord what, it, what, what really happened there, Lord God. And don't be afraid that somehow you're going to be undone, exposed, and ashamed because Jesus said whoever calls upon him will not be ashamed. See, the big deal is shame. Shame says I am bad. That goes back to the question of who, who am I? Who am I? I'm bad. I'm shame. I'm no good. We have got to stop practicing the idolatry, not of worshiping trees. We have just got to stop the idolatry of worshiping the lie that I'm bad, I'm no good, and I've got to try myself. To, that, the idolatry of listening to the lie, I'm bad, God's mad at me, that, that's idolatry. That's a lie. Those concepts, those beliefs are coming between you and God. So idolatry is practiced really in our belief system more than in the hands, the work of our hands or what we do with our, our uh, you know, stuff. That's that's part of it because our stuff is an expression of what, what begins in our belief system and in the lies that we believe. So idolatry really, um, many times Paul will wrap up something and say, which is idolatry. You know, idolatry is the worshiping of fear. It's the worshiping of, of worry. It's the wor- fear really is the prompting of idolatry. We're going to worship we're afraid, and so we're going to take the lies, the advice of the devil who says, do this, do this. How many people are obsessed, obsessive compulsive? They're really, it's a really a form of control and idolatry. I've got to do it just right. I've got to do this. I can't step on any cracks on the sidewalk. You know, I can't, whatever, because you're being controlled by a spirit of fear. That's idolatry. Many of the things that you and I do, our diets can be idols. You know, oh, I've got to keep my, forget it. The, the diet, D-I-E-T, diet, die. It's, it's going to bring death to you. Eat your food as unto God. You know, don't in, overindulge. Don't be gluttonous. These kinds of things will come automatically out of someone who has their, their, their know who they are, know who God is, and know the word of God, know the truth, and, and, the and walk in his grace. The, the Lord wants us to walk by faith. And he wants to live as the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's righteousness, peace, peace and, and joy, joy in, in the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And so if you, if you, this is, this is how, how God is pleased. And it gets Jesus boiled it down to two principles. He said, the great, they asked, they, they come to him, the, the legalists came to him and said, what's the great commandment of the law? He said, the greatest commandment is, 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 love. is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Self, as yourself. Says, that's the whole law and that's the, that's the whole thing. He reduced it down to two things. Well, actually two things. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor and, as then yourself. Love, and then loving yourself. And it gets down to this also right here. Um, we Just a little bit of a repeat from a little different book, though, from Colossians Chapter 3, verses 17 and verses uh, uh, 23 and following. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then verses uh, 23 and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Amen. And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Amen. He's the one we're serving. Amen. And the theme of this season for all of you is rejoice. I don't mean put it on. I mean live it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Father God, we thank you that we rejoice. We are so excited, happy, thankful, grateful, full, complete, satisfied. 
in what you have done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And for coming and for keeping your word, your promise, we rejoice. Lord, we're excited. We're so excited that we're not even, you know, there's no room left for anxiety or worry because we're filled with the glory and the peace and the sense of your presence, your faithfulness, your goodness, your love, that you will complete the word, the work that you've begun, not only in us for your status, to your satisfaction, but you will call and culminate this world and bring it forth, even as your word says, because you cannot lie, you cannot fail. So all that's left for us to do is to rejoice. And we thank you, Lord, for everything that is thankful and, and rejoice in your holy word, in what you've given us for this season. And let it, let's do it as heartily as unto the Lord. May each one be blessed. May this be a time of great reconciliation for you and your families, that there will be forgiveness where there's been bitterness. Ask the Lord, come before the Lord and say, I choose to forgive. I release whoever, whatever situation to you for judgment. I release them for my judgment and let there be peace. Peace, rejoicing, and reconciliation and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And by the way, one more thing before you hang up. One more thing. Uh, check out the blog, To Christmas or Not to Christmas. It's December 13th in the archives of Life Recovery. December 13th. Uh, I'm sorry, December yeah, 2013. 2013. We might repost it. But um, To Christmas or Not to Christmas, liferecovery.com. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.